On today's Stuck In, call it a weekend special, folks. Jared and I go as long into stoppage time, the game from his actual stoppage time winner did, so fire up the vacuum and gas up the lawnmower and listen to us bullshit about silly stuff that doesn't matter for 90 minutes while you get your Saturday chores done. We've got more ground to cover than ever, so without further ado, let's get stuck in. Welcome to Stuck In, a Farmers League soccer podcast. Today is Friday, October 14th, 2022, and today is a glorious day. Everything is amazing. We are just on cloud nine over here because we have finally seen the culmination and actualization of the arrogance, bluster, and truly utter detachment from reality that is biting them so hard in the ass of not one, but two clubs, and boy, does that make for a fantastic show. Oh, yeah. And our superlative starting 11s uh, was such a smashing success last time that we're going to do it again uh, and probably again and again, because, uh, Jared, I don't know about you, but I had a blast looking mine up. Uh, I was like John Nash in a beautiful mind, like scribbling all over the chalkboard with numbers and imaginary voices orbiting around me in some mystical haze. Or it probably actually looked more like, you know, Charlie from It's Always Sunny uh, trying to piece everything together. But, uh, yeah, I don't know about you. Was it a spiritual and an out of body experience for you? Yeah, it might uh, surprise people to know that uh, we like making fun of soccer players and teams. And mm. so uh, one of the greatest vessels I think we've come up with in order to do that uh, and, and probably piss some people off along the way. Well, yeah, and that's, you know, that's what it's all about. Uh, not just having fun, but, you know, just uh, just trolling people pretty much. And uh, yeah, you, you can probably imagine, uh, you know, what the theme may or may not be uh, about this. But but yeah, th- this is the joy uh, that we have as podcasters here. But um, before we get to that nice little teaser there, we will eventually uh, obviously get to that segment. Um, but a couple of uh, serious topics here uh, that we want to get through. Um, obviously, tons of Euro- uh, European action uh, midweek uh, in Champions League, Europa League and Conference League. Uh, and then we'll get to those starting 11s. But uh, first, your first topic, uh, because we have spoken about it on multiple occasions now, uh, and it may or may not serve as some glimmer of hope, I think, uh, definitely at least a, a step in the, in the right direction. Um, but yeah, let's do a couple of women's uh, soccer topics here. Uh, Merritt Paulson uh, of the Portland Thorns and uh, Portland Timbers uh, has officially stepped down. Uh, obviously, this is our Friday pod, so it happened a few days ago, uh, but obviously something very important to mention here. 
Yeah, it is, it is, as you said, a step. And it's not the complete step if for no other reason than he still owns both of the teams and is, seems to be resistant to wanting to sell them or has been expressed maybe an openness more to sell the Thorns than the Timbers. Uh, there's a problem with that because, uh, you know, it, it's it's not easy to get investors to singularly buy a women's team. Uh, I wish that were not the case, but that is the world we still kind of live in. Uh, the fan base seems to want him to sell. A lot of the sponsors seem to want him to sell. So uh, we may be seeing a situation where it kind of seems forced into it in some way. Uh, but nonetheless, I still think there's uh, many more dominoes to fall here. But as you said, it's a positive first step. But uh, I think for, for a great many people, it is only the first step and, and more are required. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we're seeing uh, so, and, and hopefully, yeah, the, you know, the dominoes will start to fall and we'll see a lot more of this stuff. So definitely a step um, in the right direction, uh, but uh, a step in the wrong direction. Uh, and sorry, you know, obviously not trying to make light of, you know, the, uh, all the Yates report and all that stuff. But but yeah, in terms of women's soccer, uh, the USA uh, lost to Spain. Um, after, you know, losing to England in that uh, super uh, uh, fantastic game, uh, well, from an English perspective, uh, uh, you know, tons of people there and a lot of hype there and everything. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, you know, it was it was good that women's soccer is kind of catching up and everything. And, uh, you know, our USA women are sort of uh, finding their footing, some new faces, although, you know, Vlatko just keeps starting Megan Rapino for some reason. Uh, and yeah, we uh, we lost to Spain. And Jared, and, and to tie that all together, uh, this was the same Spain. Uh, where like 15 of their best players are protesting against the coach, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so uh, yeah, a loss to Spain this week. Yeah, very, very much a loss to a Spain B side. Um, I think the big takeaway from this one is that uh, our women's coach, Blacko Ankonofsky, much like uh, his male counterpart, Greg Berhalter, <laughs> both seem to be very, very stubborn coaches. Um, and, it's just like the culture of U.S. soccer at this point. And, and like even when Bruce Arena was in there for the men, it was literally just like all the old faces, all the guys that got you here like 10 years ago. Yeah. And it's not only obviously, as you mentioned, Rapino, who at this point is a is a sub is a super sub at best, uh, who has a very uh, much reduced game as to what we were accustomed to seeing even four years ago. Uh, systematically, uh, they just keep banging in crosses like it's like yeah. their job. Uh, and, and that's not uh, what you'd ideally like to be doing when you are considered to have, you know, if not the greatest, but certainly one of the greatest depths of talent in world soccer, in the, in the women's game. And it's, it's stunning to me that given how many great players they have, whether those players are, are playing well or not well at any given point, that the system seems to be so far designed around chance like creation that is left to chance that is left to these crosses that, you know, you have to hit it just right. And you have to, um, you know, your, your person has to beat their person versus just trying to play through, play on the ground, you know, string passes together with, with the Lavelles of the world and, and the Harans of the world that are so good on the ball. It doesn't really make sense. Uh, you know, I was listening to uh, one, I think the Scuff podcast I talked about in this Spain game. They played three crosses into the box in the first 19 seconds of the game. Like, that's not fucking possible. Like, yeah. you don't have time to do that. And it was literally like one cross in, comes right back out, cross right back in, comes right back out third cross goes out for a goal kick and like and from second one of that game it is just that they're it's almost like they, they're lost for for a, a legitimate attacking thrust and when they play bad teams in CONCACAF they get away with it for sure but this is not new and it and it has to change because if not then 
the World Cup next summer is going to go uh, not as well as, as U.S. fans are accustomed to seeing it go. Right, yeah, and, and you drew the parallels to, to Greg. I mean, what, what have we said about him before, too? It's like, well, he's got plan A, and if plan A doesn't work, just keep doing plan A. Yeah, and, and again, and at least with Burhalter, you can try and make the argument that, well, in, in big games, he's never going to have the most talented roster, so maybe he needs to hammer down you know, that plan. And we can agree or disagree on that, but Vlaco doesn't have that problem. Vlaco has elite, elite world players on his team at pretty much every position. Yeah. And so for him to be doing this, and I understand there were some players hurt and not available, but nonetheless, like it shouldn't be, if we're at the point where we need every single one of our good players to be on the field to be good as a women's program, then our program has slipped because it has been for so long. Oh, so-and-so's hurt. We got the next or so-and-so's out of form. We got the next. And, and that doesn't seem to be the case right now. Uh, but I don't know if that's because the player pool actually has gotten worse or because it is being coached worse. And, and I, I you know, I don't think we can answer that today per se. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm just noticing a couple of, of names missing, like uh, uh, Macario. Like, is Catherine Macario hurt right now? Or, yep, or she's what? hurt. Okay, uh, she's hurt. Morgan was banged up. Uh, pretty much a lot of the players who were banged up at all did not play in the second game in particular because the NWSL playoffs start over the weekend. Right, right. But, like, yeah. Sophia Smith is is great. Like, Alyssa Thompson yeah. coming off the bench, fucking 17 years old. You know, yeah. like, we, we have, like, good young players uh, and, and this new blood that's going to come in and really be the foundation for, uh, you know, the World Cup next year and, and beyond. Um, and, and, yeah, again, he's just still trotting out Megan Rapino. It's just like, oh, my God. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's the big one. And, and there's been some other players that have struggled, but nothing like that. We've also heard uh, indications that a couple players that have pretty much gone um, – that have, you know, been out due to, to you know, uh, like, I guess the best example is Julie Ertz, who obviously had a child. I believe uh, Sam Mewis as well, I think, might have had a child. And and there's stories that neither one of them is planning on pretty much returning to soccer. Mm. Uh, it just, oh, it, like not just the national team, but at yeah, all. Like they might be retiring or, huh. or, or something like that as well. Or certainly for the national team is, is a possibility uh, or, or more definite than that, but that they really just want to take time to be, to have families and everything else. And so, you know, there obviously is a, is some of that stuff is not uh, exclusively down to the coaching or the system or anything like that. But, but, but again, you know, to your point, Sophia Smith can't stop scoring. Uh, you know, Lavelle has not been in, in the best form of her life, but has certainly been fine. You know, Haran, who's been very good at club, Ashley Sanchez coming in all these. Trinity players, Rodman for God's right? Trinity Rodman, who looks absolutely fantastic. And it's yeah. all there. And, you know, we saw Naomi Gurma in the, in the first friendly, she did not play in the second one at center back, just locking it down. Crystal Dunn is now back after having a child. So all the pieces are still here. Make no mistake. And of course, Nayer is still in goal and we know how great she is. So the pieces are still there. It, it, it's a team that can win. But I, I do think there needs to be an adjustment in the next, what is it, nine months at this point, where we start to say, hey, wait, wait, we're better than these teams. We have more talent than these teams. It's time to play like it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Um, well, yeah, we'll see how, like you said, the next nine months goes in terms of preparation and, and can only wish uh, the best for the women's national team um, in Australia and New Zealand. All right. Uh, let's move it on here. Uh, we got two topics uh, that are covering. Um, uh, yeah, next. Sorry. Uh, two more topics. Uh, one that is covering uh, some, some old retreaded uh, uh, stuff that we've talked about like a million times before. And then, of course, uh, the dreaded injuries. But but yeah, let, let's let's talk about this fucking thing that has reared its ugly head uh yet again um jared i was i don't know about you but i was so happy when that mbappe transfer saga you know with real madrid 
finally ended and this, that, and the other thing. And now he's like, okay, and, and we can have a laugh about him being like the technical director of PSG. And he's basically the coach. He's basically the CEO all rolled into one, this, that, but, and, and we were like, oh, th this couldn't possibly go wrong, obviously. Well, guess what? It, it's gone horribly wrong. Uh, and now we have to deal with this shit for the next three months because Mbappe uh, wants out of PSG in January. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, you know, there's some good news and some bad news for Mr. Mbappe. The bad news is that he, he's going to be stuck at PSG because about three teams can afford him, and at least a couple of them have already kind of said, we have no interest. Yep. And I don't know if that's just, you know, can, like, even Madrid's like, uh, we're like, kind of done with this right now. Like, we're good. Um, and again, like, after that, where is he going to go? City? Like, I, I, there's really just in terms of just the pure cost of it. Cool. Uh, the good news is that, uh, I mean, maybe he might get his way because uh, Spanish authorities are trying to put Neymar in prison. So maybe if that happens, then he gets like one of his wishes and maybe that mollifies him. So he doesn't want to leave so quickly. Question mark. Yeah, hold on. We, let, let's talk about the Neymar thing. Very quick side out here. Uh, it, is it just like the usual tax fraud thing? Uh, it's more actually closer to fraud and corruption based on his original transfer to Barcelona and where the money was stashed. Ah, OK. Essentially. So there's a company, a Brazilian company, essentially, that argues it didn't get money. Uh, that they were owed due to the whole thing. I don't know why this is still happening. This is like, what, eight, nine years ago now or whatever. Uh, but yeah, they're like, prosecutors are trying to put him in jail for like two years and, and five-year jail terms for other executives and fines for Barcelona, so on and so forth. And obviously we know in Spain, nobody actually goes to prison, but yeah. I just thought it was a nice little way to weave it in in the context of everything else. Ah, okay, very good. So spotlight uh, uh, off back of Neymar and, and back onto Mbappe here. Uh, just what a fucking petulant child like like what didn't go perfectly his way here at PSG that's now made him and and by the way this isn't just some like you know fucking uh, uh Twitter handle with no followers that you know tweets something out to troll people and then it just gets picked up by the social media universe or whatever and then turns into like this is a real story this is something where as and I'm going to talk more about Michael Richards later <laughs> and the coverage on on Paramount Plus uh but but fair play to Jamie Carragher who is like Dude, this is not so, this is something that is constructed by him and his camp. This is people, you know, saying things to other people. This is confirmed by journalists, you know, from multiple sources like this is coming from the guy. And this is a real story. Well, that, I mean, it comes from him, right? He's the one who goes on Instagram and kind of makes the crack about the lineup. Uh, you know, when journalists then say, wait, what? Like, and then there's like the first rumor, right? Oh, does he want to leave? And they just go to his team and they go, uh, yeah, you want to like debunk this rumor because so we can write like, yeah, Mbappe is not going into it. And they're like, no, we're not going to debunk this at all. So, I mean, he can't, they're, they're leaning into it. Not only are they not denying it, they're actively saying, yeah, no, this is like kind of what we're doing. Uh, I mean, I guess he's upset because they didn't sign the guys he wanted them to sign, but that's not exactly PSG's fault. It's not like they didn't try, right? They tried to sign Lewandowski and Holland. Like, they put their name out there for those guys. Those guys wanted to go somewhere else. They spent pretty much all summer trying to sign Scrinier from Inter Milan to, like, shore up the defense. Scrinier stayed put. He didn't end up wanting to go anywhere. He's, you know, he's, he's cool. So, you, you know, it's easy to say, I want to sign this guy. I want to sign this guy. We should sign this guy. We should sign this guy. We, I want to sell Neymar. Well, nobody wants to buy Neymar. And so this isn't FIFA, right? We just can't like go to the little transfer thing and sell a player and it doesn't matter. Like this is real life where if you don't, if you want a guy off the team, but nobody wants him, he's staying. If you want a player on another team and he doesn't want to come to you, you're, you're not getting him. So his, his complaints might be valid in the sense of he wishes there was a better number nine that he could play off of. That's fair. But th they tried they couldn't get one. Maybe they'll try again in January. Maybe they'll try again next summer. But you can't be mad at the club for trying and failing because 
Well, no, he he can because like in his head. Well, he, okay, he can, but not not logically. <laughs> yeah, not logically, not justifiably, but obviously he and his personality uh, and his you know wages for that matter uh, also d- just defy uh, the real world. Um, and, and you know, I mentioned at the beginning like detachment from reality. You want to talk about that? I mean, he's basically like King Joffrey, like in Game of Thrones. Like if he doesn't get what he wants, it doesn't matter if you tried your hardest. It doesn't matter if it was literally impossible. Like if if King Joffrey asks you for a square circle and you can't provide a square circle for him he's going to shoot you in the face with a fucking crossbow you know and and that's like Mbappe like he wants what he wants and if he doesn't get it he throws a tantrum it doesn't matter about all the stuff surrounding it no obviously you're absolutely right and again I just uh, from PSG's perspective and and god am I hardly the one to ever you know feel sorry for them by any means and certainly they could have avoided this by I don't know not signing that contract back like three months ago (laughs) yeah they did it to themselves like they did it and like or selling him last year for a discounted rate or whatever else you want to say it but like again what are they what actually are they supposed to do here I understand the petulance I understand him throwing his little hissy fit but realistically there's nothing they can do uh it's not the transfer window's not open we always know that the january transfer window is certainly never as 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 big or as vibrant or as widespread as the the summer one so you're not likely to get some 100 million you know the the only hope in hell that they have is that barcelona goes to the europa league and they can call barcelona be like hey you want 100 million for lewandowski because you're not in the champions league and and Barcelona somehow says, hey, this is easier than pulling a lever. Yeah. That's the only fucking option because they're not getting Holland. There's no other center forward in the world, I don't think, right now that is going to satisfy his desire, right? They're not signing Benzema. They're not signing – who's the fourth best center forward in the world? Harry Kane? Like, they're not signing Harry Kane. Like, what are they doing? So, I mean, he can be as mad as he wants, but there's literally no way this is going to get fixed. Yeah, he's literally impossible to satisfy. Uh, but yeah, you did it to yourself. Anyways, um, I think we've given uh, you know enough oxygen to that story. Uh, let's just leave that there. Uh, but but yeah, just hilarious. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to spend too much time uh, giving this thing credence, but, uh, you know, got to mention it for sure. Uh, Mbappe, little, just a little baby, a little petulant child. Um, and yeah. We'll just leave that there. All right. uh, Then the last uh, topic that we have here before we get to our segments, Jared, uh, you have uh, once again, as we feared, uh, an update on the injuries uh, leading up to Doha to the Qatar World Cup, uh, which once again sounds just so weird to say out loud, uh, but just a couple weeks away. Yeah, let's go from uh, from less bad to absolute worst. Uh, Angel Di Maria got injured in the Champions League during the week. Uh, They are claiming it's a three-week injury. You can do the math on that. That is early November. He should be okay for the World Cup. I think it's a 34-year-old player who has been injured a lot. So you know, three weeks uh, for a 25-year-old, totally high. Three weeks for him. I again, I just I pause a little bit. Uh, you know, like I said in the last show, uh, I believe it was with, you know, uh, was it Trent? I think I said it. He should be back, but you never know. Uh, but again, Di Maria is one to keep an eye on. More worrying, Reese James. Uh, he also got hurt in the Champions League this week. The original story was that it wasn't that bad. They've now kind of walked that back and said he needs to see a specialist and they need to do further scans. And right now this is truly a, a coin flip as to whether or not uh, he will uh, be 
ruled to, to be possibly fit for the World Cup. Uh, they're saying this very well might be a, a wow. eight to two month injury, uh, which would pretty much cast him out. That would so be Trent, Reese, and Kyle Walker. Right. And that would, I mean, this would be absolutely devastating for England. Of course, James has been their probably their best defender. Uh, and certainly, you know, if, again, for like from the U.S. perspective, the one guy who is like, oh, that guy is definitely going to be a problem. Uh, at this point, if, if Trent that hurt as well, I mean, you're looking at, I guess, Trippier. Uh, is probably like the last right back left. Yeah. Uh, those guys can make it. You're either after that, you're getting into like sliding a Joe Gomez over, which I don't think makes sense if they're playing five at the back. And beyond that, I think like the next guy is like what Juan Basaka maybe at the, on the right. So at this point, it really probably would be trippiers to, to lose if James can't get healthy. Uh, yeah. And uh, again, we, we do not want injuries for players. So I hope he does get back. And that's not the worst one, sadly. Um, and Golo Conte will miss the World Cup. Uh, apparently their uh, last scan or their last uh, look at him this morning came out that they think he's going to be out for three months. Uh, and so obviously not even close to being back for the World Cup. Uh, and again, for France, that is a, a very big blow, even though he obviously hasn't been healthy in a while. Uh, one would strongly imagine this is where Chouameni is going to step in and, and kind of try and be the Conte, but that's a, a big blow for France. And, and they're Wow, really- that's wild. Jared, I don't know if you can uh, hear my facial expression <laughs> through the, the phone right now, but uh, yeah, obviously knew he was injured, knew it, it was, you know, uh, longer-ish term and, and, and lingering and that type of thing. I didn't, I just didn't, I, it didn't, you know, fucking compute with me that he would be missing the World Cup. Yeah. We, we want Conte at the World Cup and he's like the nicest guy in the world too. Yeah, literally uh, in the last hour is when the story really broke. Uh, like, was the first one to say it, uh, but now it's all been picked up. And again, they're saying well into to 2023 by the time he think that they think he's going to be healthy. So, uh, yeah, it was one of those where it's, you know, he's been, as you said, you know, he's been hurt, but like in the back of your mind, it's always like, oh, he'll be back. Like, there's no way, like, yeah. he's never seen that bad. But, you know, obviously as, as the rehab has gone and everything else, it just, it hasn't happened. And that's uh, obviously devastating for France and him. Uh, I guess the only thing you can slightly say to make it better on his account is at least he has actually won a World Cup before. So unlike, you know, some of these other guys who, you know, a Di Maria, who this is his last chance. And if he misses it, that would be, uh, you know, obviously, you know, dreadful and, and as bad as this is at least it's a guy who's been there and so you know there's i guess a small bit of solace for him yeah the only solace the only solace. oh i just think of the stories like after 2018 like just truly how humble the guy is yeah uh, just a, a fantastic personality like he just you know they're trying to get him he, he's the guy that you know uh hits the walk-off home run and like everyone else in the in the dugout is trying to get him to you know go out and get the standing ovation and he's like no no no, i don't want the attention and i <laughs> you know and and obviously you know a devout muslim and, and praying five times a day and all that stuff and and he just seems like a a class act and for him to miss the world cup oh that's brutal yeah I, I believe Mbappe is going to hold out of the French World Cup spot unless they sign a better defensive midfielder. <laughs> exactly. Oh, brutal. Okay. Uh, well, uh, again, our, a dreaded, dreaded topic to cover, but we still have to do it. Uh, Jared, hopefully that will do it for today at least. Uh, yes. And until Monday when more fucking horrible shit happens in the world and we have to talk about it. Yikes. Uh, yeah. And not just the weekend, but right. Midweek games, right. League games and shit. Uh, as well oh yeah yeah these four players all right well um yeah let's let's leave that there there you have it um, we are moving on to our segments uh first segment here uh european nonsense featuring jared reback tons of 
uh, great midweek action, uh, like we said, in Champions, Europa, and Conference League. Uh, and Jared, I think we can just pretty much skip over uh, the Champions League because, you know, nothing to see here. Nothing happened. Obviously, all the big clubs won. And, you know, this is a, a perfect example and uh, all the justification that you need for, for why we need the Super League. Like, it's just boring at this point, you know. Look, and the biggest problem the Champions League had is that when you get into those last couple group stage games, often the big teams have already through. And so, you know, your, your, your Bayern Munich's already through. Your Real Madrid's already through. You know, even a Napoli goes on a good run already through but then like the giants like club Brugge already through and so again what are these what are these giants of the sport even supposed to play for in these dead rubbers at the end of the i can't even like hold it i'm just gonna break character here and just um yeah like it's 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 incredible and i I, we've covered it before no need to cover over that ground again uh but just like and and that was part of you know that was my intro there it's just like the arrogance the entitlement the detachment from reality and and it's come back to bite them in the ass here are not and it was all like theoretical before and i'm not just talking about the super league but you know the idea that uh you know we are just so like they think they're so much better and don't you know need to play these smaller teams uh and that they can just skirt through um and it was all like theoretical before that oh well what happens if you lose to these teams or what happens if you don't get through the group stage but it is now finally reality right and obviously we have one major result on tuesday one major result on wednesday and we'll talk about those as we go along but like it is reality that two of the biggest clubs in the world that like literally depend on this money, uh, this Champions League knockout stage and everything, like they're not going to get it. And and at this point, it, there's no more bluster. There's no more like talk about the future and like, oh, we'll be good down the road and this, that and the other thing. Like it's it's finally the rubbers met the road and the chickens have come home to roost all the sayings that you could say and they fucking botch it let's just start right there on tuesday juventus nil maccabi haifa too yeah and 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 in the broader sense by the way for for most fans this is why we don't want the super league this is fun yes juventus is better than maccabi haifa and yes juventus if one of the two teams has to go through and neither one is going to go to the, the, to the knockout stage let's be fair it, you know, Juventus is a better team to go through, but this is the enjoyment of it. The NCAA tournament is one of the most popular basket, you know, the basketball tournament is one of the most popular sporting events in the U.S. And it has games between Duke and Coppin State. And yes, Duke beats Coppin State by 39 times out of 10, 99 times out of 100. But every now and then it doesn't happen. And we love it for that. We absolutely like I adore it when the upset happens. This is great. If you're, I mean, obviously, if you're a Juventus fan, this sucks. If you're a Serie A fan, you probably laugh at Juventus' misfortune, but it doesn't look great for the league. But so maybe you feel some way about it. For the rest of us, it's fucking fun. And not because we we laugh at the expense of Juventus and we laugh at the expense of Barcelona. It's just fucking fun. It's fun to see the crowd go mental in the greatest night in their club's history because they knocked off a giant of the sport. Even better that it was fucking deserved, right? That they just they just beat them. Like it wasn't yep. some fluke game where, you know, Juventus had 45 shots and, the, and, and Josh Cohen stuck on his head. Though he obviously made a few, you know, really big saves. They beat him. And, and, and by the way, speaking of the NCAA, uh, a not not even Division One goalie, a Division Two college soccer goalie beat yeah, Juventus, but, got a clean sheet against them. And not even on the net. We just have guys shutting out Juventus and Champions League, not even on the national team radar. Yeah. Global powerhouse. Let's go. Like, <laughs> it's fun. It's enjoyable. We love it. We laugh at Juventus. We we celebrate Maccabee Haifa. We we applaud the the underdog. We we cherish the Knights. We cherish the. Uh, everything and and even you know but beyond the super leagues 
they're going to change it to this fucking stupid Swiss model, like 40 team table, like next year or whatever. Yeah. We're going to lose this a bit because these, those games won't matter as much. And so embrace this game, embrace this result, embrace the night because it was fun. It was just enjoyable to watch. It was, it, it made you feel things and, and we're so cynical at times. And I know you and I are certainly as guilty as anyone else, but this is the fun part. This is the part where we watch it like children and we go, this is just fucking fun. Yep, 100%. Uh, but yeah, Jared, to your point, uh, obviously we all know the last thing that goes into the calculus of these big wigs and, and UEFA and, and FIFA and everything, uh, and the ones who suffer the most, of course, are the fans. Doesn't really matter what we think, obviously, even though we made our voices very well known uh, after the, you know, the leak of the Super League and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, let's enjoy it while we have it. Uh, the Israeli side getting the result there. Yeah, like you said, not going through, but holy shit, was this fun. Uh, that was just cool to watch. All right, um, moving on. Uh, City nil, Copenhagen nil. Uh, well, we've finally figured out how to make it fair when playing City, just have Holland on the bench and force them down a man early on. And uh, but maybe you can, you know, eke out a, a tie. And save one of their penalties and only give up 60% of the possession. Right, right. And, and if all that shit happens and they bench half, as you said, Holland, uh, Foden didn't start. Uh, who else didn't start? Uh, Bernardo Silva didn't start. Uh, so on That's and so forth. If you do all that, um, you can get a draw that still sees Manchester City qualify and you still uh, not get through the next round. If, you, if all that happens, uh, you can get a, a heroic nil-nil draw in which you are horrendously outplayed. Yep, there you have it. Uh, and uh, we'll just leave that one there, pretty much. Um, another uh, draw, another heroic draw, perhaps you might say. Uh, PSG won, Benfica won. Um, yeah, I, just again, you know, you know the, these Portuguese clubs, I think you said it best, Chart. There's always like one really good one and one really bad one. Uh, and, and Benfica actually almost got all three points in this game. Yeah, look, in two games, they drew both times. Uh, they played decently well. Obviously, uh, the home game that they had last week, uh, they were closer to getting three points here. But nonetheless, look, Verratti, what are you doing? Uh, that was a very silly penalty to give away. And again, uh, amazing. he like always does it, too. And then just has that look on his face as if like it couldn't possibly be, you know, the typical like remonstrating to the referee. It's like, dude. You just didn't even need to do that. The guy's on the edge of the box, back to goal, dribbling away. There is no danger whatsoever. And he just lunges in. It's just like, what are you doing? You are stupid. And and the biggest takeaway from this, again, is, is regardless of all the drama and everything else, is that at the end of the day, PSG at home is starting two of the six best players in the world in attack, mm. right? And they can't win unless they have the third one. Unless Messi's on the field, they can't. They don't have the... The, the mental strength, they don't have the ability. I don't know if ability is the, the right word here, but they certainly don't have the mentality. You know what Benfica did in this game? Benfica just whooped their ass. They beat them physically. I mean, they physically beat them. 18 fouls, five yellows. They just beat on these guys. Yeah. They, we are gonna, we're going to kick you until you, you cry uncle. And yes, Mbappe got the penalty. Yes, they had the lead. And But you know what? They gave up the silly penalty and had 30 minutes uh, to, 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 to win the game, and they didn't have more than two shots on target in that 30 minutes. And so they didn't uh they didn't rise above when they got kicked in the teeth <laughs> yeah but jared you, you can't blame them and I, I think you're just being a little bit too harsh because again right they didn't have all the pieces of the, of the puzzle right. there you know like imagine if if you know you're the uh, uh you know the autobots if they don't have optimus prime you know they can't possibly you know defeat the the, the bad guys or I'm, I'm going down this path without are you saying without Optimus Prime, uh, PSG can't beat Conchalo Ramos, Joe Mario, and uh, Rafa Silva? 
Uh, well, Jal Mario. I mean, that's all you need to know right there, Jal Mario. By the way, Julian Draxler doesn't even start for Benfica. Gee, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, that's true. That's true. Uh, would it have been better? Um, oh, my God. Uh, who are the Captain Planet people? Remember, they all had their rings. Like, if you have one guy missing, you can't make yeah. it. Like, yeah. Well, thankfully, the, uh, the, the Infinity Gauntlet only works to its maximum potential if all the Infinity Stones are in it, kind of. Okay, the- well, Jared, you know that I'm not a Marvel guy, and I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I'm just going to like, uh, move on here because, uh, I don't want to, uh, reveal my hand that I actually don't know what any of those things are. Um, we'll, we'll okay. have a, we'll have a, we'll have a watch marathon at some point. We'll, we'll get you caught up. Well, hold, aren't there like 17,000 movies? Like I can't possibly watch all of them. Uh, yeah, it's like 30 movies and some TV shows. It only takes like, like, it's only like a hundred and, or it's like 110 hours of content at this point. Uh, that's yeah, that's not too bad. All the, well, uh, one hundred nine thousand hours and nine hundred and like ten minutes because I did watch Thor Ragnarok and that one was hilarious. Yes, very one of one of the better ones for sure. Okay, cool. Uh, and apparently they all have like infinite universes now, so nothing matters if anyone dies. So there it is. Uh, all right. So, anyways, um, yeah. <laughs> last result. Spoil, on spoil, uh, spoiler alert for anybody who's not cut off on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh fuck off. The, the, uh, the, that, that's like when people are like, no, don't tell me about don't the tell Sopranos. Me what happened. I'm still, I'm still watching the Sopranos. <laughs> By the way, that, uh, that actually came up in one of the uh, TV shows in the Marvel universe where somebody gets the Sopranos bone and it's hilarious. It's, oh God. Yeah. It's a good laugh. Yeah. Just fuck off. All right. Um, last result on Tuesday, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk won Real Madrid one. Uh, speaking of infinite universes, uh, there are a few universes where Donetsk won this game. Uh, really should have been all three points for the Ukrainian side, uh, except for a complete brain fart uh, from their goalkeeper, who, uh, as I said, sh- should not only be benched for that, uh, but also probably sent to jail for assault and battery on, Anton- on Antonio Rudiger. Literally, I literally can't believe he didn't get sent off for that. I know it was a goal, so you're not going to call a penalty or anything like that, but good Lord. And I don't know what the hell he was thinking because he was nowhere close. Yeah, he was he was so late to come out. And well, for, for the traveling supporters, you know, obviously, you know, look, watch the highlights uh, on your own and, uh, uh, you know, fast forward towards the end. And you'll see, you know, again, Donetsk up one nil Real Madrid pushing everything forward. It's just like your classic bend, but don't break towards the end. We're in the uh, what was it? The fourth or fifth minute of stoppage time. Yeah. And, and yeah, finally, this ball just gets gets whipped in uh and the keeper you saw the hesitation right and the second that the keeper hesitates takes that step and then stops it's like okay at this point just don't go for it because if you do you are not going to get it right and you might as well just stay back in and hope that it's not a great header and you can like you know tip it over the bar or something but like the only way that you can 100 guarantee that you're going to fuck that one up after the hesitation is to still go for it and guess what he still went for it we're Rudiger got his head on it. Uh, fair play to him. I mean, going in there, I mean, kind of like a quarterback staying in the pocket, just knowing that he's going to get absolutely fucking creamed. Um, although he might not have known too much about it watching the ball. But anyways, gets his head on it. Uh, he literally looked like a fucking uh, like a boxer, you know, in slow motion when that haymaker comes and his head like just whips around like a fucking exorcist thing. Uh, and luckily, he's OK, uh, probably concussed, I would imagine. Uh, but yes, the ball goes in the back of the net uh, and Real Madrid uh, uh, just snatch a draw from the clutches of defeat. 
Yeah, and he comes out of that when finally they get him off the field and he's fucking, you know, covered like a like a WWF wrestler in like nineteen ninety eight, just the crimson mask. Oh my god. But yeah, that, that's the one where all the players are just like they're not even celebrating the goal. They're just like motioning to the field yeah, get, to get out there as fast as they can. But as you said, a lot of credit to Rudy. I mean, even if he knew whether he knew it was coming or not, you know when you're making that jump, it's it's a possibility, right? You know right. that the guy might be coming, you know that you might just get absolutely punished for it. But and you know, it's one of those plays where if he kind of just made a business decision, you, we probably yeah. wouldn't give him too much shit. We'd probably be like, hey, like, you know, like, you, I get it. But, you know, credit to him. And it's a point that obviously sees them through for sure, uh, you know, to the knockout stage. So it was a big goal. Uh, obviously, even if they lost, they probably would have gotten there anyway. But, uh, you know, putting your putting your, your body on the line. And, and again, you're, you're new at a club, right? You've been there this year, first season there. And, and Madrid is a, a fan base that uh, will be, is, can be a little aggressively hateful towards their players sometimes. And, but when you do something like that, like you automatically are loved for like life. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's won over the support. <laughs> like he's, yeah. He's good now. Like he will never pay for a drink in Madrid again because of a stoppage time equalizer in the group stage against Shakhtar, which, which again on the, you know, and the bigger picture is a relatively meaningless goal in the, in the wider s- scope, but, but obviously shows commitment and, and, you know, and, and the, the willingness to die for the shirt as, as we say. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, obviously a couple other results here on, on Tuesday. We'll kind of just gloss over them. Uh, Zagreb and Salzburg playing to a 1-1 one, one draw. Uh, same thing with your Honeybees uh, against Sevilla. Uh, a new look Sevilla. Obviously, Lopetegui gone. Uh, What's-his-name is in. Um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, Tamori, what are you doing? Uh, red card, 18th minute for AC Milan, allowing Chelsea uh, to win that one pretty can we, easily. Can we talk about this red card for a minute? Uh, we can, Yes like not a red card i, I don't yeah I, I i don't well go ahead uh make your case i, I have so, mine. so when when they did away with the triple jeopardy punishment right yeah. the, what they wrote into the rule book was that like essentially was assuming you have made an effort at winning the ball and and realistically that rule was was in reality written in to make sure that some player didn't absolutely kung fu shit, uh, kung fu kick the shit out of a player under the guise of I can't get red carded because I'm in the box. Mm-hmm. That was like the, the the principle of it. I know that you can still get a red card and a penalty for what they call denial of a goal scoring opportunity. And I understand that in this case, Tamori didn't really play at the ball. He like gently tugged at someone's shirt to try and hold them back. And if you want to call the penalty, give him the yellow card. Of course, that is what you should do. But like, this is what he did instead of trying to slide tackle him from behind, instead of doing something that could have injured him. And by the way, Mount did get a shot off. Not a great shot, hence the penalty in the yellow card. Mm-hmm. He did not deny a goal-scoring opportunity. He made a goal-scoring opportunity slightly more difficult. And to me, it's just it's not in the spirit of the game and even in the spirit of the laws as they are written and in the guidance that UEFA referees get, which are not technically written in the laws of the game, but they are instructed to follow. To me, it's just it's not a penalty. It's not a red card. It's a penalty. It is a yellow card for sure. It just, to me, is just not it goes against the spirit of why the law was written the way it was written. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you, Jared. Uh, I, I think we're calibrated on this one. It, it just, yeah, it sucks because it's not just a triple whammy, you know, for the player, but it's a quadruple whammy because the, the fourth strike is, is that it just ruins the game, you know, for the rest of us. And uh, yeah, like, uh, don't worry. What are you doing? It's, it's, like, it's dumb. Don't, it, it, don't make it's, I'm not. Yeah. I don't think either of us are trying to exculpate him from this, but, but also it's like the, the referee and, and you could see the way that he, 
uh, I, I don't want to speak to the operation of his mind. I, I don't know the personality of these people, uh, but I just see it time and time again. Like, and I, I feel like I read body language. Well, it, it, it's almost as if he was like looking to make his stamp on the game. Uh, the way he just went to his pocket so fast and just like so confidently, even like defiantly, like, like weirdly proactively defiantly uh, uh, giving him the red because he knows the guy's going to complain. He knows he's going to face flack, but he just, like no i know this is a red card for sure like i, I don't know it's it's just a weird one to me and look i mean obviously that seemed to be like there were nine yellows and a red in this game so obviously he had i don't know if you want to say putting a stamp on the game or just was very trigger happy in this one and look you know the biggest the the, the biggest complaint you ever hear about officiating in like in the, in our soccer lives is the the 2006 world cup match with the netherlands and portugal where there's like the 17 yellows and the four reds and everyone went after the ref and said what was he doing well those two teams were literally trying to kill each other i don't know what else he was supposed to do this game wasn't that this right, was right. violent game this wasn't a nasty game this was, i mean there were you know a, a few hard challenges in the game but these were two teams trying to beat the shit out of each other these were two teams playing hard but yeah. mostly like what you know playing like not if not clean certainly not dirty in the sense of they're not sliding in from behind they're not 10 yellow or nine yellow cards in a red miss game it wasn't that kind of game yeah and so for 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 you to and this was the first card issued in the game it wasn't like there were four yellows in the first five minutes and whatever he just started this way and then it's you know it's it's drew and mount it's uh sterling it's uh, Gabia, it's Krunic, and this is just in the first half. And then the second half, it's Pobega, it's Gallagher, it's it's Balotori, it's Tonali, it's everybody. Everybody, you know, the Oprah, you get a card, you get a card. Everybody, yeah. and it wasn't that kind of game. So I just don't understand why why this happened. And 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 I think that especially not only looking at the specific play, it's not a red, but I think when you look at the rest of the game, it kind of makes sense why he gave a red and it further illustrates our own point that it's just, it's a mismanaged game. It's a misref game. And, and I would not like to see this guy again in a big game, please. Yeah. And, and I think I know why. And, and that's why I, I was just kind of, so, not so subtly uh you know alluding to it but but look full disclosure like and i don't want to paint all referees with a broad brush but i see it at the youth level too uh and, and i think we sometimes see it here and, and this was an example of this which is that the I really genuinely think there are a lot of referees who have whatever their histories have been, whatever has happened to them in the past, for some reason, like just part of their life experience has been like not having control over stuff in their life or like something, you know, uh, bad has happened to them and they want to be able to, you know, exert power uh, onto the world as revenge or whatever. And again, I'm not saying that I know the operation of his mind or this person or his life or any of these referees that I see, but I just can't find anything else, Jared, that would make you just do these inexplicable, unjustifiable things on, on a football pitch. And, and, and it just boils down to that. Like, I, I'll never forget, um, I worked with a social studies teacher, Tamatha, and I, I, I remember telling him, uh, I was like, I was driving through DC the other day and these folks, they just like, you know, they just walked across the road, like in front of me. And, you know, I'm like honking at them and I have to stop short and all that. And they're just like laughing and like staying there and, and da, 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 da. And I'm like, why the, like, what is your problem? Like, what are you doing? And, and he was like, he's like, honestly, dude, there are just some people who just like, don't really have much in their life. They have no control over stuff. They feel marginalized, et cetera, et cetera. All that's, you know, 
pop social psychology, uh, this, that, and the other thing. And the only way that they can like exert control over their life is in these small, stupid little things. But to them, that's big because that's how they exert power and, and like influence into the world. It's their only outlet pretty much. Well, hopefully these kind of people main like stick to like sports and other unimportant things and don't become like the ruling wing of a major political party in a developed country. Yeah. Or even, you know, like the president of the United States, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen. That would that would be bad if, if somebody with that thin a skin was allowed to actually be given real power. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's just hope that never happens. Um, all right. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yeah, I think that'll wrap it up for Tuesday. Uh, sorry to go down that route uh, as well, but, but I, I genuinely see that as, as a problem. It's much bigger on the youth stage than it is a uh, professional. But when I, uh, when I see uh, that, um, I don't know, even at the professional level, I think uh, I need to point it out. All right. Anyways, um, Wednesday, uh, let's move on here. Uh, yeah. Uh, Naples continue to be a wagon. Uh, Napoli four, Ajax two. Uh, clearly, it was not just a fluke in the first game, uh, you know, with a red card and this, that and the other thing. Uh, yeah. Just absolutely waxing Ajax again. Uh, yeah. No, they, they're they're very good. And and uh, unlike City, who obviously have a lot of different guys who score goals, it's not one guy here. I mean, they just come at you with just wave after wave of attacking player. And it's just like, it's, it's incredible given how many goals they score. I mean, you would think that, uh, you know, it, what they don't have is some guy who scored 15 of them. You know what I mean? Like you would expect, yeah. like we, we, we talk about, um, you know, we talk about city and, and obviously Holland has 15 goals, but you know, Raspadori, four goals. Zelensky, three goals. Caveradona, two goals. Simeone, two goals. Di Lorenzi, a goal. Zambo and Guisa, a goal. Lozano, a goal. Palatano, a goal. And Dombele, a goal. Osimhen. They've all scored. They've had 10 different guys score in the Champions League in, in four matches. Uh, that's insane. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Spreading the love. And, and, like, and it's just, and it's got to be so hard for these teams to try and defend it, especially once it gets going. And, and we saw Liverpool just, you know, struggle to defend them. We've seen Ajax, uh, Ajax twice try to struggle to defend them. Um, and even obviously in that, in the first game against Rangers, you know, they, they scored a bunch in that game too. And it's just like, you know, at least in theory against City, you can try and put five guys on Holland and make someone else beat you. You can't even do that with this team. There's no singular guy that you would even look at and go, oh, like he's the guy we have to stop. Um, you know, again, Raspadori leads the team in goals, but I don't think he's the most dangerous attacker on the team. I think, uh, again, Cavaradona and Osiman are generally considered. Like, those are the peak strikers on the team, and yet Raspadori is the one getting the goals. And so it's – look, at some point they'll run into a team with enough talent, like a Madrid or something like that, that'll probably figure out a way. But in the meantime, they're just built to just absolutely decimate teams that don't have that kind of talent. And they, they've done it so far in Syria, more or less, and they're doing it in the Champions League. And it's, it's a blast. They're the, they're the must-see team, I think, besides City, as I said last week. They're the must-see team in Europe right now. They're, they're fucking yeah. amazing. Hey, that's a tough team to play against. Like when everyone's carrying the water, you know, when everyone's rowing the boat, uh, that's, that is a tough team to play against. All right. Um, yeah, next result here. Uh, Rangers won. Uh, Liverpool seven uh, Liverpool scoring a touchdown uh, even after conceding first. And uh, yeah, I, I like in my head, I was like, Oh God, it continues to fall apart. The wheels are just falling off of this Liverpool bus. Uh, but yeah, they not just rallied, uh, but rallied in a really big way. Uh, and Rangers like, Oh boy. Yeah. That's not a good look. Yeah. Rangers uh, stink. Uh, they're not uh, good enough to be at this level. I think we've, we've beat that horse into the ground over the last. Yeah, and what a quick turnaround too, because after the playoff to gain qualification, like they were flying and now they're just like, 
it's it's not good. It's a different level. And, and look, I don't think this result uh, does much to make me think that Liverpool has really fixed uh, what they were doing. I think, uh, obviously, all the Rangers, obviously, they scored the one goal and, and they didn't really threaten too much after that. But yeah. uh, I will say that, look, they were still able to kind of move through Liverpool at times. And I don't think, look, the, the, the water, you know, started running downhill and, and there was no way to stop it. And I think Salah was kind of like finally had his, like, I'm fucking tired of not scoring kind of situation where he's like, yeah. all right, uh, I'm playing against the meat sims right now. Let's just like rack it up. Uh, yeah. Do this. And, and again, it, 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 I think it, it does more for Liverpool's maybe, um, mental confidence than it does maybe any structural thought that they've fixed anything. Uh, maybe that's enough, but I mean, I really do. I mean, this is more a case of Rangers being quite objectively horrible than it is anything about, uh, you know, Liverpool being better. This, this was not a, we've seen some seven, one games where it's, it really is something that tells a little bit more about the two teams. And I don't think this tells much about Liverpool, but Hey, look at the bright side. Now they have a positive six goal difference after winning a game by six. Yep, there you go. Uh, and like we said, with the Arsenal-Liverpool game, it said a lot more about Liverpool, uh, and then Liverpool turned around, uh, and I think this says a lot more about uh, Rangers in this result. Um, and then, yeah, the last one that I had highlighted, obviously the big one on Wednesday, uh, but Barcelona 3, Inter Milan 3. Um, forget about the stakes uh, that were in this game, uh, and obviously we've talked plenty uh, about Barcelona's financial situation and pulling the levers and this, that, and the other thing, but just in and of itself, Jared, this was one of the crazy games like I've ever seen and now put the context of the stakes uh, back in and, and and it makes it like 10 promotion playoff finals at Wembley and the World Cup like all in one I mean, this is seriously an existential crisis do or die moment for Barca uh, and then that game happened like in just utter insanity yeah I mean if this was a like the second leg of like a quarterfinal or something it would be talked about we'd talk about it forever yeah uh, for that for the for the on the field reason we're gonna talk about this game forever perhaps for different reasons and and the the thing i I kind of cracked up the most at about this situation is for all the money right for all the funds for all these new players at the end of the day pK and Busquets who concede pretty much the first two goals yep and and it's the and and you like i understand de young has been there a couple of years and that's a tricky thing but de young is not starting this game you sign kessia and you're not starting him in this game uh you like what are you doing like what why like you you sign all these guys you say you need to sign all these guys and you don't play these guys and you start these two old like relatively speaking washed players and and even if you want to say Busquets in particular still has that quality um Inter is like one of these teams that just like has like a bunch of young dudes who fucking run through midfield all the time you can't start Busquets in that game and have success I don't think uh, that is this is a Kessier special because he's he's quick he's fast he's he covers a lot of ground he has the chance of stopping us and what we saw in this game specifically in the second half is you know, Kahanaglu, Barella and Mkhitaryan just flooding through midfield like 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 as if they were on horseback yeah and and barcelona had no answer and it just it blows the mind given everything that they've done and again they have Lewandowski, so they got the goals back as they needed to but then they couldn't defend and it's just it's <laughs> i mean we laugh at it again the the karmic uh you know, consequences of all this, but it really does blow the mind. Yeah, for sure. And for some reason, my mind's making an association uh, like many years back uh, before Harbaugh was the coach of, of uh, Baltimore Ravens, whatever his name was, uh, where he's like, 
at the press, he's like, I, I want the fans to show up and make this like a college environment. I want you guys like fucking yelling the entire game. And, and guess what? The, you know, the Ravens fans showed up at that game, um, but the team didn't. And in this game, it was the same thing. Like they needed the socios to come out and support them all game. And they did like it. It, it legitimately felt like uh, that was one of the best like, uh, you know, midweek Champions League night environment uh, that I'd ever seen uh, experience, you know, through the TV. Um, but the team just did not show up. Like, like you said, PK and Busquets, it was like, are we surprised? We're not surprised. No, of course not. But but for some reason, they, they just keep getting trotted out there. Uh, and they are the reason for uh, the demise of this game right here. Uh, and, and and can I just say, just to put it in context here, and, and I sent this out to the group um, and we'll, and we'll talk about the game itself, uh, actually, what, what happened. But, but this was, and I alluded to it in my intro, too, which was that th- this was not a reality. This, this was not even a possibility to people, right? Javi to the front office to the fans. And, and the, this entire mortgaging of the future was predicated on you know at least a champions league quarterfinal run and it wasn't like man we're really hoping for that and here's the backup plan it was just like this is what we're going to do and because we're barcelona it's going to happen again entitlement utter detachment from reality and and the athletic covered this uh they said quote the possibility of such a disaster was not talked about at all during last sunday's uh agm so like all the all the fucking delegates all the fan representatives, like the, the general meet, the, the the annual general meeting is happening, like literally just days before this game, which was held at, at the uh, at the Camp Nou. Laporta said that, quote, together we have saved Barca, end quote, reminding everyone of how the club had been almost bankrupt when he replaced Bartomeo as president in March of last year. He explained how using various financial levers to borrow from projected future earnings would create a, quote, virtuous circle in which the club will be boosted to success on and off the pitch and a winning team will grow its revenues so much that paying off the loans will not be difficult. Well, that all went to shit, didn't it? Well, yeah. You know why it went to shit? Because you did not refer to it as the Spotify Camp New, and so they are not getting value. <laughs> yeah. Well, bottom line is that it it happened. Uh, Dembele scores in the 40th minute to kick it off. They they feel like, all right, we're good. It's happening. Uh, obviously, on the other side of halftime, that's when shit went bananas and totally turned up. Uh, Barella 50th minute, Lautaro Martinez 63rd minute. Inter are up to one. We're like, okay, I think this is happening. And by the way, Barca, they, they, they can't do a draw. Like, they have to win this game, right? Because then Inter play pleasing. Next game, negative 13 goal differential. Like, they're, they're going to win that game, most likely. So they need a win in this one, right? Lewandowski pulls one back in the 82nd minute. It's now 2-2. And it's like, okay, you know, they, they can push towards the end. They'll probably get another one, right? But except they just flung everything forward without any regard whatsoever for defending any type of counterattack and counterattack interdid Gosen's 89th minute right uh, to go up three two luckily Lewandowski you know saves them to like all but mathematically eliminate them from it uh, in the second minute of stoppage time but there, there's no celebrating there's no rejoicing because Barca realized like the worst reality that could possibly be conceived which by the way again they didn't even conceive of this uh, has actually happened to them yeah and and again this talk that we come back to tactics a little bit you can you have to throw everything forward I get it I'm not begrudging that 
but you can't do that with PK and Eric Garcia on the field. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't do that. You, you need to have somebody who can move. And if you look at that Gosen's goal, uh, and I understand there's not much on the right flank to defend it, but PK's just kind of sitting at the top of the box in no man's land, and he can't defend that. And, and and part of that's on him being older and, and not as good. And part of that is, is situationally putting a guy in a spot where he cannot succeed. And this is what happened in the way in that game. And again, I know they had to chase the goal and you have to take that chance, but how does Barcelona not have a couple of defenders that can move? And look, he's not, and I was, I was talking about a guy who's, who's obviously past his, his peak and everything else, but uh, Jordi Alba never got off the bench in this game. And if nothing else, there's a guy who just flies up and down the wing and has pace and, and has for years and years and years been able to get back and defend, even when he's been in the other 18. And given all the subs they made, it, it was a little confusing to me, by the way. Me, that wasn't a guy that you could put on and say, if nothing else, if we get broken through, here's a guy who might be able to catch up and maybe try and stop some of this. But even then, on a tactical level, it still feels like they're, they're just still faffling a little bit when it's going wrong. And, and Javi's a good coach. But I think he's not a great coach when they're losing yet. And and because Barcelona coaches used to not have to worry about that. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that should pretty much do it. I, I mean, what else can you say, Jared? Pretty much just a, uh, a, a, a stay of execution, right? I mean, again, all but mathematically eliminated, but they're going to be mathematically eliminated when, you know, fucking interbeat, please, pretty much. Europa League's going to be so lit this year. It's going to be fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Barca, Juventus. Or actually, United. Oh, it's just going to be all like, so like the fucking semis of the, the, like the semis of the Europa League might be as good as the semis of the Champions League. God, all fucking super late teams in the second tier. I love it. I love it. Uh, speaking of the second tier, uh, Europa and Conference League action as well, Jared. So if there's uh, nothing else uh, on those Wednesday results, uh, you want to talk about the second and third tier of your Europe? Yeah, just do, again, we mentioned it earlier, but I do want to give a little bit of credit to uh, Club Brugge for getting that at Atletico and, and clinching a spot. Uh, Mignolet just uh, was amazing in that match. And uh, I mean, just a, again, a really cool fucking result. And, and I said it out to the chat to you guys, but uh, the, the look on the faces of the Atletico players at full time after failing to beat Bruga twice in a week is exactly the same face that all the other teams used to make when they played like peak Atletico. Like just like almost like bemused look of like, wait, yeah. how can we not score on those guys? Like how are those guys beating us? And, right. Talk about taste, taste of their own medicine, pretty much. Yeah, and it was it was it was just absolutely glorious. And again, uh, is Brugge going to make a semifinal one? No, no, probably not. But uh, they are obviously, you know, we talked about Sher- uh, Sheriff Tiraspol last year, right? Trying to make that run, and obviously didn't quite get there. But it was it was really cool for Brugge here to get over the line. And so, uh, you know, as one of the few teams who have gotten through already, you know, let's let's tip our hat. Yeah, a clap up to them for sure. Uh, and another uh, smaller team that we have to give a hat tip to, I think, as well, uh, Marseille. And just because they had lost like literally 8,422 games uh, in a row in Champions League before this, uh, winning yet again against Sporting, uh, obviously on the uh, the backs of two red cards uh, for Sporting Lisbon there. Uh, but yeah, I just love the scoreline. Gwen Doozy with the penalty, clanging it off the inside of the post. And then, of course, Alexis Sanchez. And they say Arsenal's not in the Champions League this year. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, like I said, when they played uh, uh, Spurs, it was literally just a North London derby in different form. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, Jared, Europa and Conference League, I believe you had one game highlighted for each. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we got to give credit to a, a plucky little upstart named Manchester United, uh, mm. who, you know, after 93 tireless minutes, finally eked that home goal against Ammonia and Nicosia of Cyprus. Uh, Scott McTominay as, you know, uh, as you know, as the, the lead attacker of this team, 
uh, obviously guess one weight uh, carries the burden. Uh, it was hilarious because he is the first sub to score uh, in uh, stoppage time for Manchester United or have a stoppage time winner for Manchester United since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the Champions League final, which is a random stat of all random stats. That was hilarious to me. Uh, that United was this game, yeah, 34 shots, 13 on target in this match for United in all seriousness. Obviously dominated the game, so on and so forth, but took forever. And I guess uh, we'll mention a little uh, Matt Turner won and, uh, you know, for Arsenal. Who did they play? Sure. Photo Glimp. Oh, sorry. Say again. Oh, Arsenal beat what? Bodo Glimp? The club yeah, club yeah, Bodo Glimp. Yeah, I got to play the, the the Norwegians twice in a row. By uh, the way, the, the best clip from that game, of course, I don't know if you saw it, but um, uh, the um, Bodo Glimp's like, stadium has like an apartment building literally right next to it. Yeah. And uh, Saka, like, or uh, Saka, I think it was... I think it was Saka, like fucking mooned a ball, like on a missed shot, and it like hit a dude who was just standing on his patio, like right in the face. Yeah, guy's just minding his own business, you know, <laughs> and, and he just gets creamed by a, a, an errant shot. Yeah, no, just absolutely out of nowhere. He's like, he does like on the third floor too. Like he, he probably thought he was probably safe. Yeah, no, I'll tell you what, Bodo Glimt have endeared themselves to me for sure. Uh, obviously, you know, beating Jose last year was amazing. Uh, and then, yeah, having played them, you know, twice in, in two weeks here uh, against Arsenal, they're, they're a good side, you know, they, they, they uh, just they just lacked a little bit in execution in the final third. Because I'll tell you what, they had some chances against us uh, yesterday. And um, yeah, I don't know, just the fans are I great. Was... Obviously a small club, you know, with a, a very, very passionate fan base. And, and yes, apartment buildings, literally. And a, very, right. and a very realistic fan base, right? They're going around. They're like, hey, we're probably not going to win, but this is fun. Like, we're in Europe, like, for multiple years in a row. This is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's a team that every year loses their, like, four best players to either, you know, the, the quote-unquote bigger teams in Norway, the Rosenborgs of the world, or, or somewhere else in Europe. And, you know, exactly. it's one of those. It's like, you know, the very, very, very diet, low-calorie version of, like, an Ajax, where, like, they never get to keep their best players for more than a couple of years. But nonetheless, they still find a way to, to put teams out there that scrap like hell and, and get some results. So, you know, as you said, good on them. Yeah, but Jared, the Conference League is, is pointless. And, you know, there, there's just really no reason to even cover this stuff, you know. Oh, wait, no, it actually means a lot to, like, a lot of people. Yeah, these smaller clubs, like, this is huge for them. Yeah, and that was in our last game in the Conference League. Uh, Slovako, Slovachko of the Czech Republic wins at Nice. Two to one and with two goals in the last 15 minutes. The winner coming right after our favorite Nice defender, Tadebo, gets sent off. Uh, him and Red Cards have not been a match made in heaven so far this season. And again, that was kind of like that one little result where it's like, you know, I don't think the conference league is, is quote unquote below Nice per se. Uh, but but nonetheless, a, a team that, again, I, I pretty much have never heard of before this. I would have guessed they were in Slovakia, not the Czech Republic, if I had to. Uh, get a get a win against a team playing cash for Schmeichel and Tadebo and Dante and Lamina and you know and and a bunch of other guys and Nicholas Pepe in the lineup and, and guys that we've heard of versus you know at home against a team full of guys that I've never heard of and so whenever even relatively speaking the giant gets slayed it's always always a fun one. Yeah, uh, Nicholas Pepe. Wow. Uh, yeah, talk about one of the biggest, you know, Premier League transfer flops of all time. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Uh, a little teaser there. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's call it there for our Europa, uh, European nonsense uh, segment. Uh, moving on, uh, Jared. Uh, yeah, th- this is an old one that I, I, I dusted the cobwebs off of, and I'm only going to spend like 30 seconds or less. This is really just, you know, a self-aggrandizing thing uh, for me. Uh, why Alexi Lawless and Julie Foudy suck today, uh, which I, I've now sort of like reappropriated into or like repurposed uh, into just a way to um, 
uh, talk about awful announcing in general. Uh, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, Michael Richards, you need to shut the fuck up, dude. Uh, I'm so tired of your garbage. Uh, I have to tune in and I have to listen to you because I actually want to hear what Thierry Henry has to say on, you know, on Paramount Plus when they cover these these Champions League games. But uh, yeah, the, the unfortunate side effect of that is that I also have to listen to Micah Richards belly laugh and uh, say things that make no sense whatsoever. And I'm sure he's a nice guy and he's probably great to have a pint with and, you know, hear stories about his, you know, days at City or whatever. Uh, but but yeah, just your analysis is garbage. And I really wish you would stop talking. Uh, I will add a my announcer suck of the week to uh, Fox in the general, who pretty much said that when the World Cup starts, they're not really going to address any of the issues that are going on there, and they're going to stick to soccer and uh, fuck off. How about that? Yeah, yeah, I will give a big fuck off to that as well. Ugh, fucking spineless cowards. Um, already. Uh, yeah, let's leave that one there. Uh, moving on now to our next segment here, uh, which I'm sure is becoming a tried and true, uh, a segment that uh, was a smashing success, like we said last week. So we're, we are going to go ahead and bring it back uh, for this week. Your superlative starting 11s. Uh, shout out to the traveling supporters, specifically uh, Jeff, Tim and Nibs for, for this one. Uh, this week's superlative starting 11 is going to be uh, your all time flop start uh transfer flop starting 11 not not like you know actual flops not like you know Neymar flopping in the box and trying to draw a penalty uh but the transfer flops um and and Jared like I said dude going through this you know googling looking it up I was just having an absolute blast and by the way I don't know if you noticed the same thing uh, and I don't know what your theme is, so that, that'll be breaking news. I, I, that'll be a fun reaction. Uh, but but I just kept seeing like the same clubs over and over. Uh, it, you know, it, it's like and obviously Barca, you know, the, the, the more uh, transfers that you do by probability, the more flops you're going to have and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty, but I just kept seeing the same clubs over and over. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? Let's just lean into this thing. So mine is going to be an all Manchester United transfer flops. Uh, and, and I'll kick it off here. I think I'd kick it off actually with um, the ones who didn't make it. And I think it's actually a lot more telling those who didn't make it than who did. Uh, but yeah, check this out. So these guys didn't even make my list. Uh, Shinji K- uh, Kagawa, you know, 38 appearances in two years. Didn't do anything. Some recent stuff. Donnie Vanderbeek, 30 appearances in two years. Uh, Carol Paborski. 32 appearances in, in two years, uh, three and a half million pounds, which, by the way, back in 1996 was huge. We're going to see a lot of that stuff, just like old school transfer fees of like what is literally just a pittance at this point. Uh, apparently, he was good at Euro in 96 and then just had like 17 starts in two years. Uh, so nothing. David Bellion, three million pounds, total flop right there. Uh, and, and the list goes on and on. But how about my actual uh, starting 11 here and Jared uh, because this is you know England is the home of football because you know they have so much history here Uh, I lined my guys up in the very first formation uh, you know going back to our roots here uh, of the two three five all right so I figured I'd go through it line by line and we could could have a laugh at Manchester's transfer flops uh, line by line so for those who don't know the traveling supporters who don't know their history uh, offside rules were different back then just read you know inverting the pyramid Uh, and the first formation was two defenders three midfielders and five forwards Um, so shall we Jared 
I can I I am quivering in anticipation. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. I know. I'm trying to like build it up. I'm, I'm just like oh, shaking. I love this. Okay. Uh, my my two three five. Let's start from the back here. Um, goalkeeper, uh, Manchester United all time transfer flop is not Victor Valdez, uh, but Mass and and not even not even David De Gea. We could have a laugh about that. Uh, but Massimo Taibbi. Um, he replaced obviously one of the all-time greats, uh, uh, Peter Schmeichel, uh, and he was supposed to be like the next big thing under Sir Alex. Uh, but things went so bad uh, that he ended up getting nicknamed the Blind Venetian <laughs> by the fans, and was so bad he eventually got ran out of town on a rail. Um, and the two defenders uh, that I have here are Marcus Rojo. Uh, did he actually play for United? I'm not sure. Uh, and uh, of course, has he been like truly the biggest flop? Uh, maybe not, but it's just hilarious to talk about him. But you got to go with Harry Maguire here. Uh, Marcus Rojo and Harry Maguire, uh, just because he's Harry Maguire. <laughs> I, I did must say that first off, the blind Venetian might be the fucking greatest nickname I got. Dude, I, I fucking Fuck. cracked up so hard when I read that. Because, like, I, I remembered the name Taibi, but I did not know that. And I'm, like, dying laughing as I'm doing my research. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think that it's pretty simple. Uh, obviously, Maguire, who, who's, you know, obviously played and everything else, but has just become such a laughing stock. And Rose, obviously, a good shout because he... You know, again, uh, an Argentina starting center back who's supposed to, you know, really short up. And then obviously that didn't happen. So he definitely uh, totally makes sense. Yeah. Could you imagine a back line with those two? Literally just those two in the back. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. Your three, uh, your three center center halves, they were called, which eventually as the formations changed, center halves got moved back to the back line. That's why the British still called, you know, center back center halves. But anyways, uh, yeah, my three across uh, the middle there. Uh, let's go with out of Brazil, uh, Kleberson, um, which apparently I learned. I knew he was a big flop, but I learned, Jared, that uh, apparently he had been brought in because United also wanted to bring in Ronaldinho. Uh, and they wanted like a Brazilian there to kind of like settle in and make him feel at home. Obviously, Ronaldinho never uh, went to Manchester United and Kleberson just just was not a good player for them. Uh, so he's in my flop, uh, holding it down in the center of midfield, of course, is going to be Paul Pogba. Uh, because not once, but twice uh, he left for free uh, and cost them like a bajillion dollars. Uh, you know, obviously we know the relationship with Mourinho and everything. And, uh, he just wasn't really that great. Uh, incredible, incredible player uh, that just did nothing at the club level pretty much for United. Uh, and then, you know who else I'm going to chuck into that midfield three, Jared? Eric Jemba Jemba. So oh. good. They named him twice. Uh, and you have to look up his Wikipedia page. He's played for like 8,000 clubs. Who knows where the fuck they are? Like you look at the names that you, you couldn't even recognize them. Uh, and, and yeah, apparently he's like 40 something with, you know, tons of kids with multiple uh, women and bankrupt today. But uh, yeah, he gave us a little bit of joy as a random United player for like eight games. Uh, yeah, I, I, I vaguely remember him. Uh, that was, I think, one of those first times I remember hearing somebody say, use the phrase two last names, still no game. Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah, there, <laughs> there you have it. Uh, Jared Pogba, a good inclusion there, I think. I, I think uh, if for no other reason, financially, just the disaster of the, the strictly financially that has to be on there. Obviously, he's had his moments there and had some good games there. But just based on the the utter finances of it, I think it's a, it's a no brainer. And, and Cleberson, of course, uh, one of the first ones I remember in my soccer watching life of just the yeah. random Brazilian that ends up there that just is like, wait, he's like, you know, he's supposed to be the next thing. And, and obviously it was not. 
Yeah, yeah. All oh, right, and, and it was the financial angle for sure. Um, oh my God, uh, Bebe, he was Brazilian yeah. as well. Right? I mean, just uh, so- yeah, he's still he's still kicking around. So good for him. Oh my goodness, that's incredible. All right, uh, and to round it out, obviously you're five forwards here. Um, who is leading the line? Uh, I'm gonna go with. Uh, oh, and I love the guy, but he's, but you gotta, you have to put him on there because he appears on like every worst transfer list, uh, not once but twice. Uh, but Romelu Lukaku, um, one for United, one for Chelsea. I mean, just he's a great player, and he's and he kills it in Italy. But when he comes to the UK, for some reason, it just doesn't work. I think again, Mourinho effect uh, as well. But yeah, Lukaku is leading the line for me. Um, I, I, I'm going to take a little dig at you here, Jared. Uh, Diego Forlan, really not the best spell. <laughs> uh, that's on United, not on him. Uh, let's be fair. If he if you do it everywhere else but United, that's their fault. Okay. Yeah, fair play. Fair on that one. Um, and then on the other side, uh, I have Ralph Milner, uh, who in 1988 uh, was brought in by Sir Alex uh, for 170,000 pounds uh, from Bristol, which again is literally just like pocket change. Uh, I'm sure City finds that in, in the couch cushions uh, on a daily basis. Uh, but the reason I'm putting him in there is because Sir Alex himself has said, uh, and gone on record as this was my worst signing. So you can't leave him out of the starting 11 uh, for sure. Uh, and then right behind them uh, uh, helping support that line is Juan Sebastian Verón, uh, as well as Alexis Sanchez. Uh, we mentioned him before in the pod and, and we'll mention him again. Uh, again, it's just like, you know, he's fine uh, over in Italy, but in, uh, you know, in the, in the UK for some reason he can't play. And remember, this one was a swap. Uh, for Henrik Mkhitaryan, uh, they paid him $14 million a year. And in 18 months at the club, uh, only three goals leaves to enter on a free. Uh, and yeah, and again, it's still kicking about and scoring goals. And in he's Europe. in the Champions League. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's incredible. It's incredible. Hmm. Uh, but yes, Jared, that is my starting 11 for all-time Manchester United transfer flops. All right. I, I don't have a, a necessarily a, a, a theme here. I just tried to pick some, I, I, you know, I, what I really tried to do is I tried to find uh, some guys who it wasn't strictly a, a matter of, you know, the most money, so on and so forth, but just really, you know, some interesting situations, except for really up top. I'm, I'm going to go in a weird order here. I'm not really going in any tactical order. We do the forwards first and, and look, any, any list of the, the biggest flops of all time, you find like a list of the 50 worst flops, like, 35 of them are strikers, which I think probably contributes to your two, three, five formation. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's just so many. And so, you know, and, and I understand there's the, the most number of like, oh, well, why didn't you include this guy here? And I get that. Look, there's only so many spots. I kind of went with a three, four, three formation. Um, and the forwards, I went more recent. And then the, the rest of the guys, I, I kind of went a little bit further back. Uh, but I, I put Antoine Griezmann on here first, obviously. Mm. Uh, fresh in mind this is uh atletico madrid to barcelona in 2019 for 120 million euros of course as we know and we've talked about at length was literally just sold back to atletico this past week for about 20 million euros or 40 whatever it was 20 or 40 i can't even like 20 they wanted 40 but now it's right but and then remember so in three years they sold him back for like for 100 million less and oh by the way one of and a half of those years he spent on loan back at atletico so literally for about a year and a half of antoine griezmann they paid 100 million uh, uh euros and so just again purely mathematically i think that one has to be on there yeah uh, eden hazard 
uh, from Chelsea uh, to Real Madrid in 2019. Again, 150 million euros. And again, like he's had his moments there. Don't get me wrong, but he's been hurt the whole time. I don't really have to explain this one. But 150 million. This was a staggering amount of money for a guy who's who's you know obviously had had so little impact there. So that's beyond there. And uh, for my third forward. I'm actually, this is, um, I, I don't think we've ever done this before, but um, this is, I'm actually going to do a full on uh, listener's choice. Um, and, and as you listen, as the listeners listen, I want them to pick the guy that they want to go in this spot. And the, and the, the position is just Chelsea strikers. Uh, as you already mentioned, we have Lukaku from Inter in 2021. We have Timo Werner from Leipzig in 2020. We have Morata, uh, of our Morata in 2017. Yeah. From Madrid, we have Fernando Torres in 2011 from Liverpool, Shevchenko 2006 from Milan, and the old G, uh, which is really where I kind of started, and then you know obviously kept going, is uh, in 2004 Mateja Kesman from PSV, which was like the original bad striker signing for Chelsea. So you can sit there and you can decide which one of those half a dozen you particularly find to be the worst. Spoiled for choice. I, I don't even know which one I would pick. It's it's a hard one. Kesman always held a special place in my heart. I really liked him because he was one of those first, like the first one of those first FIFA strikers that was like great in the game. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and he, he sure. opened the door for the rest of these terrible transfers. Yeah, and with that, he was yeah, he was the the the, the OG, the, the trail George Wa- the George Washington of Chelsea strikers, really. <laughs> so he, good. he walks over all uh, Lukaku's Ronald Reagan could run. Uh, <laughs> So those are the three forwards there again, uh, newer mostly and, and bigger names. So I'm going to try and try and be a little bit more um, old school with the other, with the rest of these a little bit older and, and some names that maybe you're unfamiliar with. I'm actually going to now kind of go from the back in goal. Jorelio uh, Gomez, uh, PSV to Spurs in 2008 for just under 8 million pounds and, uh, and did end up playing almost a hundred games for them. So he wasn't a flop in that sense, but it was pretty much a constant disaster for them from, from year one um, in his, in uh, his, he was perhaps uh, the worst game of his career in many ways was the one that nobody remembers. He actually got a red card in the 10th minute in that Gareth Bale game at the San Siro, that champions league match, the Gareth mm. Bale hat trick match. That was a game where Spurs lost four, three down a man for 80 minutes. And that's because Gomez got set off in the first 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Spurs fans probably remember that the rest of us less. So um, it got so bad that a, a couple seasons in after three or four years, they signed a 40 year old Brad Friedel to like replace him uh, because they couldn't <laughs> deal with it anymore. And then eventually after that, they got Lloris and, and obviously have been fine ever since. But, uh, you know, goalies without, you know, kind of going to the low hanging Keppa fruit, uh, which is obviously probably everyone's first thought. I didn't I just didn't want to grab that fruit. Uh, but Gomez is probably one guy who actually got that much run, who was still somewhat of a failure. I don't remember, I don't know if you have any thoughts about him or remember him at all. I don't have any thoughts. So keep going. Get him. All right. Defenders again, three in the back. Um, I think the classic, uh, you know, pre-Harry Maguire, I think the classic bad defender transfer, the, the staple has been Jonathan Woodgate uh, back in 2004, mm. went from Newcastle to Real Madrid for about 13 and a half million pounds, uh, scored an own goal and got a red card in his first match, uh, played nine games and then left. But uh, interestingly enough, still is actually somewhat well liked by Madrid fans because he actually really tried very hard to learn Spanish. He like really, you know, actually gave a shit and, and really tried to ingratiate himself. And even though it didn't work out, they kind of still respect him for it bizarrely enough. So I guess he has that kind of form. The, the anti-Gareth Bale. Yeah. I mean, just, I, just an all time, all time <laughs> rough one for him. Um, uh, here's a name that you, you maybe remember, but probably not. His name is uh, Dimitro Krasinski 
Uh, he went from Shakhtar Donetsk to Barcelona in 2009 for 25 million euros. Essentially, Barcelona played Shakhtar in a European uh, Champions League match, I believe. Uh, the man, you know, Dorsch was like, Hey, wait, this guy looks great. Like we're going to sign him. And, and like, we think he can beat out either PK or Puyol. Uh, fast forward to summer of 2010 when PK and Puyol, uh, you know, were, were pretty much on the field winning a world cup for Spain. Uh, Krasinski was going back to Shakhtar Donetsk after playing 14 matches for Barcelona. Just the utter, like, we're, like he's going to take PK or Puyol's job is incredibly hilarious. Yeah, that's hilarious. Oh, my God. This is so good, Jared. <laughs> uh, the last one, uh, Rafa Marquez, uh, on a free transfer to the New York Red Bulls in 2010, they paid him $4.5 million a year on a four-year contract. He left after two years of not giving one single shit about playing in the United States. 44 matches. He got two red cards in six career playoff matches. The team had to suspend him at one point for criticizing his own teammates and was constantly being booed by the fans in every game. And uh, he's also a piece of of shit uh, he's, posing as a human being it's so incredible jared i was just gonna be like it, like he's just a piece of shit isn't he like and it's not even the, the fucking u.s mexico bias thing like it's literally he's just a piece of shit yeah just all around and, and of course like i say as a red bull fan even when they signed him having just something to do with the mexico thing but not entirely i was like uh this fucking sucks uh, I think they were trying to kind of piggyback on the success they had with getting Henri from Barcelona the season before and figured, oh, Barcelona guys, they're all great. They can't possibly suck. Well, you found one. Yeah. All right, um, let's move into the midfield. Um, the more, uh, uh, the, more, the most recent one I have on my list, uh, Danny Drinkwater, Leicester to Chelsea in 2017 for $35 million. Pounds. Incredible. Uh, he played 12 matches for Chelsea, was loaned out four times, and is now playing in Turkey uh, as uh, as of this recording. Uh, I think we all know the, the utter failure of Drinkwater, right? Yeah, he was supposed to be big, too. Yeah, uh, did not work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have uh, Gaiska Mendieta. He went from Valencia to Lazio in 2001 for 47.7 million euros. Again, in 2001. I think at That's the time it was like a five or six... Uh, fifth or sixth biggest transfer fee of all time at that time. Um, and then again, two years later, um, he moved on to a free to Middlesbrough. Uh, he played uh, 20 matches for Lazio and actually played more for two other clubs on loan. He actually spent a year bizarrely on loan at Barcelona and got more matches. And then also at Middlesbrough in the second year played and then went on a free. And so pretty much in two years, Lazio just gave up 50 million euros in 2003. Uh, even if someone did that now, we'd laugh at them. But then it's like, think about the amount of money there. Yeah, it's incredible. Like Due to inflation, what is that? To uh, it's a hundred million. It's probably just burning a hundred million now, pretty much. I think. Yeah. Uh, Jack Rodwell, Man City to Sunderland in 2004 for 11.3 million pounds. Uh, obviously was not successful on the pitch, but this one's even better for another reason. Uh, they were paying him 70,000 pounds a week to play for Sunderland. Uh, but what they didn't do is they did not put a clause in his contract that limited or that knocked down his payment if they got relegated. Then they got relegated and they were still paying him. 70,000 pounds a week as a championship player. Oh, my but, God. Uh, things weren't going too well with Mr. Rodwell and Sunderland. That year that they were in the championship making, again, 70,000 pounds a week, he played 112 minutes in the championship for 70,000 pounds a week. I don't know why I keep saying that. It seems relevant here. Then they got relegated again, by the way. Oh, God. League one. Apparently in his contract then, um, somehow it knocked it down so that they only had to pay him 43,000 pounds a week in League one. In the real league, Un. Uh, league, yeah. 
he did them a solid and actually uh, canceled his contract and moved okay. on. I think he might actually be paying in like Australia right now. But uh, yeah, credit to Sunderland for paying 70K a week uh, for a guy that didn't play. And then at some point we're paying a guy 43,000 pounds a week in league one. In the third tier. That That's incredible. Yeah, like at some point you just have to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, dude, you're literally just stealing money from this club. You have to tear this contract up. All right. So that was uh, that was Sunderland. But what if I told you that wasn't the worst thing Sunderland ever did in this time frame? Uh, for some reason, I would not be surprised. Uh, and here's a guy that, uh, again, I, I almost had no recollection of and I barely remember it. It might be a player that you don't even know. Are you familiar with a guy by the name of Ricky Alvarez? Ricky Alvarez. Um, that name ring any bells to you? Oh, a very, very distant and faint bell. But yeah, go ahead, Ricky. Why this guy's the last guy? This is the this is the creme de la creme of, of uh, amazing transfers. Um, he moved from Inter to Sunderland in 2015 for 10.5 million euros. And again, that's not too bad or whatever. But here's the situation. He was actually loaned to Sunderland the year before. And uh, the deal was it was a loan with a requirement to buy on two conditions. One was that Sunderland did not get relegated. And the other was that he didn't injure his left knee, which he had had like recurring knee injuries. So the deal was if he hurt his knee, uh, you know, no harm, no foul. We understand it could happen. Well, what actually happened is he actually ended up hurting his right knee. And Sunderland tried to argue that, well, the right knee happened because of the left knee kind of deal. And they told um, Inter that they did not want to pay him. Um, or they did not want to have to sign him on the, on the full agreement. Inter said, you absolutely do. Uh, in the meantime, they did not sign him to a contract. So Ricky Alvarez just went off and signed on with Sampdoria instead. Uh, because he was not playing the first half of the season at Sunderland that year without kind of a contract. Mm -hmm. um, so as it turns out, this ends up in like, uh, like FIFA has to adjudge, like has to like decide on it. And FIFA rules that Sunderland actually does have to pay the $10.5 million euro uh, transfer fee for a guy that literally never suited up after he signed the contract. Uh, it gets better than that. Uh, FIFA also ruled that he had to, they had to pay uh, Vela Sarsfield in Argentina 360,000 euros in solidarity payments uh, because, again, they signed him on a transfer, you know, they, because of the transfer deal. Uh, you know, the, the, the childhood club gets some money. Uh, and then Alvarez sued Sunderland for lost wages over the six months where they refused to sign him and they were arguing with Inter. The court for arbitration of sports said that Sunderland then had to pay Alvarez himself 4.7 million pounds. Uh, again, this was a couple years back. And uh, actually, it was last year that that actually happened. So this is like, I think it went up to like 20 million euros by the time it was done. Mm -hmm. And Sunderland, possibly out of embarrassment, then tried to sue the doctor who actually had diagnosed him originally and then couldn't make the case stick and then actually just had to drop the lawsuit. So they lost three loss, four lawsuits pretty much, spent 20 million on a player that literally never put on the uniform and ended up in Sampdoria than a couple other clubs uh, before, uh, you know, retiring from football. Wow, that is amazing. I, I had thought for the longest time that the, the legend, the myth of, of Ali Dia would never be overcome uh, and surpassed by anyone. That, that might actually surpass it. Yeah, it, it, it's really, it's insane when you think about how many, like, it's like, oh, okay, they did this, that's bad. And then, oh, but this thing happened and it was worse. And then this thing, oh, and then it happened and they kept losing in the FIFA just beating them. This core for arbitration before FIFA. Just everywhere they tried to go, everyone would be like, nope, you guys suck.
And, and again, meanwhile, this is all happening as they're down in League One. And when, you know, paying in that guy $5 million is is not, you know, it's not from the Premier League perspective. It's from now a League One perspective. And, and it's not surprising it's taken Sunderland a great number of years to try and dig themselves out of the, the horrendous hole that uh, situations like Rodwell and Alvarez have put them in. Incredible, incredible, and yeah, we'll we'll, we'll give an honorable mention to to Ali Diaz. I, I did uh, think about it, but I was like, he's not even like a real person. Like when you really think about it, so is he really a flop? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, it, you know, if <laughs> I was going to do the old, uh, you know, if a tree falls in a forest, <laughs> comparison. <laughs> if an Ali Diaz falls in, like what? So when it was Southampton, Southampton, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really make a sound. Yeah, Graham Sunis was the manager. Got a fake phone call. Yeah, look that one up. Uh, that'll be your homework assignment, traveling supporters. Uh, but yeah, for us, uh, we did ours, and that is the result. Uh, Jared, great starting 11 for all-time transfer flops. Uh, and you know what? I enjoyed mine as well. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for that segment uh, until next week. Um, and then, yeah, to round out the segments here, uh, let's go ahead and do our tried and true uh, own goal of the day. Um, I just said I think the clear-cut winner is the actual own goal from Monaco in the Conference League. Uh, uh, you know, look up the highlights. I'll, I'll start putting these clips in the description so you can just kind of, like, click on it straight away. Uh, but, but yeah, Jared, you sent this one out to the group. Uh, just an innocuous pass back to the goalkeeper. Uh, the left-sided center back is just dropping down uh, literally to open up, receive the ball, build out of the back. And the keeper, for some reason, just... I mean, basically plays it first time while the guy is still backpedaling uh, towards his own goal. And uh, yep, the ball not only like hits his own player, but hits his own player in a way that it still has enough force and the perfect uh, rebound trajectory uh, to go right in the goal. I mean, I mean, just like an all-timer own goal right there. Yeah, I mean, just really the pace on it again as well. As you said, I think it's um, I think my long star is the defender. I who's the, the goalie? I should know. I think it's Newble is the goalie here, right? The, the guy who was a buyer on loan, I think, or maybe permanent. And I think he's just trying to fizz a ball to the left back to like recycle quickly. And Sar just hasn't cleared the space in time. And and I I tend to believe this is on the goalie here. Uh, I, I'm not 100. Oh, 100 on the <laughs> the, the defender's doing everything that he's supposed to do. Like he knows nothing about it. And he's doing his job, and the keeper just blasts it into him. <laughs> and it's hard enough to actually hit the guy in that situation. I would argue it's possibly even harder still to have it, uh, the physics of it, actually ping back kind of direct to sender when you hit like a, a, a leg, which is again a you know a, a conical shape. It's not a hard, it's not a, a flat surface that you would expect it to come straight back. I mean, really, just an, an absolute mystifying own goal in the sense of just like just watching it, be like, how, like, what are we physically? How did this happen? Yeah, 100%. Uh, and again, I think that's the clear-cut winner. Jared, did you have any other own goal today, or is that it, too? Uh, no, I do have a, my own. I should just point out this match. Also, Monaco ended up losing this match to Trebzons for, like, 4 nothing. Like, <laughs> Awesome. Um, I have a couple of really small ones, uh, as probably everyone has seen. Uh, Cutter has come out and said, don't worry, we have these little areas that drunk people can go until they sober up. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we, I think they're call, trying to call them so like sobriety tents. Uh, the, no, we call that the drunk tank, and that's just jail. Uh, it's not, yeah. Uh, so yeah, nice try, Cutter. Uh, but my I, I've is, already reserved my bed. My uh, my real one is uh, we're gonna look. Uh, there we, we try and um, we talk about we try and talk about a variety of different teams and, and clubs and countries here. You know, we 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 all know I love digging deep. Uh, so I'm gonna pick a, a little little negative one here for a small little club called Manchester United. Um. Mm. 
apparently their ticket office is uh, being forced to f- send correspondence to season ticket holders, asking them what gate they enter matches in and what they wear to home games so they can actually check attendance to see if these people can keep their season tickets. Uh, because I guess, um, you know, they're, they're worried about people not showing up in empty seats and, and so on and so forth. And that they're trying to tell people that if you don't show up to an X number of games, uh, you will lose your season tickets and someone else will get them. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's a bit of problem with their like electric scanning, like the, you know, as we all know, like tickets are all e-tickets now and they can't prove that they can't figure it out. So now they're asking the fans to try and prove that they've like showed up at matches. <laughs> like, oh, by the way, on the, uh, on that Southampton match on uh, August the 25th, uh, what color shirt and pants were you wearing? And what time did you get to the stadium and what gate did you come in? So we can prove that you were there so we can give you credit. It's like, Dude, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, that that's crazy. I, I, I just thought of, like, back in college, we used to have those scan and leavers, like people who would go yeah. to shitty basketball games, literally just scan their ticket and walk away so that they got the loyalty points so they could, you know, uh, get a heads up or get get a, a leg up on to to the, uh, the lottery for the Duke games. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and so a, a real team in a real country in a real league is now literally asking their fans to remember what they were eight weeks ago um, and what time they got to a game so they can try and use uh, CCTV footage to identify them as actually having attended the match. That's incredible. Never stop being you, Manchester United. Oh, I don't know what we, we would do without them, honestly. I- Oh, no. All right. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for our own goal of the day. Let's let's wrap this bad boy up, uh, Jared. As your gracious uh, uh, podcast host, I'm going to allow you to go first. We are in stoppage time, so it is time for our stoppage time winners. What's yours? Okay, I got a small one and a big one. The small one is uh, manager Jean-Marc Ferlon, who was just uh, sacked as manager of Auger. And uh, part of the reason he was fired, although they're not very good this year, is he got sent off in the game over the weekend for giving a middle finger to the Claremont foot fans <laughs> after getting the red card, then decided to go double or nothing with the double bird. Double bird. Had no remorse for his actions. Pretty much asked, was asked about it. and was just like, no, I don't regret it at all. Like, whatever. I don't care. Like, you don't know me. And uh, King say King, buddy. Uh, that was fantastic. But that's that was only the appetizer. I regret nothing. Yeah, go ahead. What's the <laughs> um, Can I take you on a, a little uh, airplane flight to Bolivia? Let's do it. Uh, this is, I believe, Wednesday night. Um, the Strongest was playing Bolivar in the Bolivian top division. And yes, Bolivia does have one of the best uh, club name games in the in the actual world. Yeah, um, it's literally just The Strongest. The Strongest right? name of the club. Um, and uh, Strongest was winning this game 3-0 uh, in the 56th minute. They were winning 3-1 in the 85th minute. So I'm sure nothing else. Oh, okay. Wait. Oh, it was- oh, wait, it's Bolivia. <laughs> um, Bolivar gets a goal back off a corner kick. The 87th minute. Then they score off another corner kick in the 90th minute. Uh, then they score off another corner kick in the 90 plus eighth minute. Oh, uh, so now uh, the uh, Bolivar is now up four, three in the 98th minute. Uh, three red cards get issued in the 90th plus 12th minute. Uh, <laughs> two to the strongest and one to Bolivar. Um, then in the 90th plus 18th minute. Uh, there is a red card to Bolivar, another red card to them. So now we're 9v9. Mm. Um, in the 90th plus 18 minute, I believe. Actually, um, uh, yeah, the 90th plus 18, uh, there's a penalty for a handball. And by the time that is sorted out, the strongest equalized from the spot in what is technically the 90th plus 20th minute. Then Bolivar, for good measure, gets a second yellow in the 90th plus 21st minute. 
We have a 4-4 draw. And what I love about this more than anything else, besides the fact that that was fucking mental, what I just said right there, yeah. is that. And, like, I went and I was like, okay, I saw this result happen. I'm like, I need to, like, see the highlights of this game. I go, I go on YouTube, and I'm like trying to find the highlights. I find the highlights. But every highlight I can find is only the goals. And I'm like, that's weird. Usually you would think if you're watching the highlights of a game, if there's a red card, you're going to show it. Then I'm like, I Google it. And I spent like, I spent a good 10 to 15 minutes Googling like match reports and whatever. Uh, this red card shit is so pervasive in South America. They don't even mention it in the match report. Like if a Premier League game ended like nine on eight, it would be the biggest story in the entirety of the country for God knows how long. But in South America, it's like, yeah, like five guys got sent off, whatever. There was like a 90th plus 20 penalty. It was a dramatic game. Like that's that's pretty much all the match reports say uh, in Spanish that I was able to find. I can't literally find highlights of the red cards. Uh, I don't right. know what they <laughs> like is like, like there's no need to mark like, you know, throw ins. Yeah, or I, like... no fucking clue. What any of it was for, except for the goals, and some of the goals were nice, fair play, fair enough. But uh, it, it's just so commonplace on that they, they, it doesn't even register as like a, a cataclysmic event for them. They just move on with their business, and and I can't love them more for that. That's amazing. Oh, great stoppage time winner, Jared. Uh, mine is actually not going to be soccer related, sports related, but not soccer related. Uh, I'm going to give a big ups to pickleball. I think you and I have uh, said a lot on this. We have many people in our circle, you know, Gord included, uh, who have really led the charge on this this pickleball um, uh, craze that is taking over the nation. Uh, you you might have seen that LeBron James has now invested in a pickleball team. Uh, same thing. I think you sent the link uh, for, for Tom Brady and uh, Kim Kleisters, who have now invested in a pickleball team. Like, it's professionalizing. It's becoming a big thing. I, I kind of want to get in on it. Uh, and I'm actually going to sign off with you now, Jared, and uh, go watch some pickleball. Uh, our buddy uh, Martin is playing in his very first tournament uh, up in Columbia. So I'd like to go catch uh, some of that. But uh, yeah, he, you know, Ben Johns, who's like the number one pickleball player in the world, is a University of Maryland guy. He's in the area. Uh, Martin got his like fucking paddle signed by the guy and everything. Uh, so that, that's kind of cool. But yeah, I mean, just pickleball. Like everyone loves pickleball. It's incredible. That's my stoppage time winner. It's a thing. And I, I, I it's a little shocking to me. I remember first seeing it and being like, oh, this is like whatever. And now it's like, oh, okay, this is the thing now. This is, it's like the lacrosse of the 2020s. Yeah, yeah. And, and like average tennis players who could probably like grind it out on tour with the ATP are saying like, fuck that. I'm just going to go play pickleball. <laughs> yeah, Noah Rubin, Wake Forest, uh, Wimbledon uh, Juniors champion back in the day. Yeah. Uh, wasn't really making it on tour. Said, hey, uh, let's trade rackets here. Let's try something new. That's so cool. Oh, I love that. Um, but yeah, that is my stoppage time winner. And uh, as I say that, the referee looks at his watch, points to the center circle, and whistles for full time. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, to you, Jared, uh, I appreciate the time, insight, and banter. And of course, to the traveling supporters, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, bye bye. <laughs> He's our striker, he's on fire Ooh, hot, hotter than Mitrovic Scoring goals home and away He's played from the ticks and he's on fire Grand talk was a catastrophe He just wouldn't go away Oh, and then Wilbrick turned it round Cost us one million pound Oh, I said, Will Grigg turned it round, cost us one million pounds. Will Grigg is on fire. Come on now. Will Grigg is on fire.
on fire.